We welcome you to the Tabernacle Podcast, brought to you by the Tabernacle Baptist Church in Hickory, North Carolina. If you'd like to learn more about Tabernacle, you can visit our website, tabernaclebaptistchurch.com. You can find other sermons like this one on Apple Podcasts, YouTube, and Sermon Audio. It is our prayer that God has used this message to be an encouragement to your heart. I would ask if you have your Bibles this evening that you turn with me in the New Testament to 2 Peter. 2 Peter. Now, if you do not have your Bible, I believe we have some Bibles in the chairs. There's a rack underneath these chairs, and in those racks are Bibles, and you can look that up and take the time to get there. Here's what I want you to know. I want you to know that you're among friends tonight. Our visitors, our summer camp visitors, you're among friends. And uh, our only agenda is to please the Lord, to teach and to preach His Word, and to show you our gratitude for your trust. It is an honor. It is an honor um, to be entrusted with our most prized possessions, right? And uh, so, relax. Maybe, maybe, maybe you'll. Maybe you're not nervous. Maybe you are. You. You're not used to our church or coming here, perhaps. Um, and whenever you're in a new place, it can be kind of unnerving. But I promise you this. I promise none of you are as nervous as I am as I stand here in front of you. And uh, I, I do. I want to please the Lord. And I want to be a help and a blessing to us tonight in, in every way that we can. And so I... I'm going to read out of 2 Peter chapter 1, and just going to give you three verses for now. We are going to look through several others. We're going to start in verse number 19 of chapter 1, and would you follow along with me? 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 19, we have also a more sure word of prophecy. Whereunto ye do well that ye take heed, as unto a light that shineth in a dark place, until the day dawn and the day star arise in your hearts, knowing this first, or most importantly, that no prophecy of the Scripture is of any private interpretation. For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. Those are some important verses, and there is some context to that that I'll share with you back in, starting in verse 1 of that same chapter 1. I loved to hear them sing that song. I didn't know they were going to sing a song about the Word of God. Every promise in the book is mine. And that is a truth that as I grow and mature as a believer that I continue to be amazed about. I'm amazed that the more that I learn the Word of God and trust the Word of God, the more the Word of God proves itself to me over and over and over again that it is indeed from the Lord. It is God's Word. And uh, in our Sunday school, uh, adult Sunday school classes, uh, we just recently studied through the book of Revelation. Lots of people are interested in prophecy. Lots of people are interested in the book of, of Revelation. And it gives us a, a glimpse into what's going to take place in this world. 
And we spent several weeks studying through and no doubt could have spent several more studying through the the book of Revelation. But when most people hear the word prophecy, they usually think of the book of Revelation. And people are looking around in our nations around the world and seeing things that are happening that has a glimpse of what they have heard or perhaps what they have studied or you have read uh, that's found in in the book of Revelation. But the book of Revelation is not all that is prophecy. You see, prophecy is intertwined throughout every book of of the Scripture, all of the Scripture, beginning in the very first chapters of the book of Genesis. Bible prophecy is history written in advance. It's God's forecast of the future. And by the way, His forecast of the future is always 100% accurate. And what it says, we can live by. What it says, we can follow and we can trust. And so I want to preach to you for just a few moments tonight on this title, The Word of Prophecy. Would you bow your heads one more time with me? Let's pray together and ask the Lord to speak to us. Father, I do. I, I want you to speak to me, and I pray that you would speak through me. And I ask that our desires tonight for every one of us would be that that you would reveal yourself. And that's what the revelation is. It's the revealing of God, the Son of God, Jesus Christ, the Messiah. And those days are coming. We know that because of your first coming, because you came and you lived sinless, perfect, And because you identified with us and identified as God and substituted your life for ours, died, and the third day rose again from the grave, as you said you would many times in the Scripture. And we're thankful for that. And so tonight I pray that you'd help me, and I pray that you would work in our hearts to desire for you to teach us, each of us, that our desire would be for you to speak to our hearts. And may we leave knowing that you have met with us. Please bless our pastor as he preaches this evening. Bless Pastor Mims also and their good people to whom our pastor will preach. And I pray that you'd give him liberty and freedom as he preaches. Their people would be encouraged. And to that same degree, I pray that you'd meet with us tonight and encourage your people and draw people to Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So in 2 Peter, turn back with me. We read the last few verses. Now let's turn back to the first few verses. And I want you to understand that Peter is writing to believers. He's writing to those who have put their faith in Jesus Christ. And these are persecuted believers. These are those who have chosen to put their faith in Christ and they have paid a price for it. But the return on that is far greater than what they pay. And they understand that. And Peter is encouraging them. And so in verse 1, we see... Throughout this chapter, we see several things. Verses 1 through 4, we see what we as believers possess. Simon Peter, a servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ, to them that have obtained like precious faith with us through the righteousness of God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. So we know he's writing to believers. Grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord according as His divine power, notice what we possess, as His divine power hath given unto us 
all things that pertain unto life and godliness. He has given us salvation. He has given us life and life more abundantly, and he's given us everything that we need to live godly in this wicked world. He has promised us that. It is available to us, all things that pertain unto life and godliness. How? Through the knowledge of him that hath called us to glory and virtue, whereby are given unto us, here it is again, exceeding great. Well, how good is that? Exceeding great and precious promises that by these you might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. He's speaking of the spiritual life, the life that is lived in Christ. And we as believers have possessed that as a result of salvation. We also notice uh, what we pursue as a result of knowing God. As a result of being uh, born into the family of God, we also are to pursue that relationship with him and growing in our understanding and knowledge of him. Look in verses 5 through 7. And beside this, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, and to virtue knowledge, and to knowledge temperance, and to temperance patience, and to patience godliness, and to godliness, brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, charity or love. This is what believers are to pursue. It is the fruit of the spiritual nature that we receive when we are saved, when we trust Christ as our Savior. It's the fruit of that of which believers are partakers. We see what we possess as believers what we pursue as believers, and we also see what we are provided. Look in verses 8 through 11. These are wonderful verses and promises. Verse 8 says, For if these things be in you, what things? Those things that were mentioned in the, uh, those three previous verses. For if these things be in you and abound, they make you that ye shall neither be barren, that means unprofitable, nor unfruitful. That is unproductive. You'll neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Three times we've spoken of the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. And he says, if, if these things be in you, your life will not be idle. It will be profitable. It will be productive. And we're not necessarily talking about um, our financial status, though that certainly is included, or our influence per se and, and position uh, in, in the workforce uh, necessarily. But God tells us that whatever we endeavor to do uh, as we are walking in this way with him, that he will make it profitable and productive. Isn't that encouraging? Look, I want to make a difference with my life. I want the Lord to use me to make a difference, and I want it to be profitable uh, for his people and uh, for him. Verse 9, but he that lacketh these things is blind and cannot see afar off and hath forgotten that he was purged from his own sins. In other words, he was nearsighted or short-sighted. He who has forgotten doesn't mean that he no longer knows that he's saved or that he no longer is a Christian. It simply means that he lacks understanding and awareness. Therefore, he forgets where God found him. If you're a believer in here tonight, have you forgotten where God found you? Where God found me? 
When God found you and when God found me, as we say, he found us lost, depraved, unable to save ourselves, unable to attain to the demands of a holy God. When he found us, we were in the muck and the mire of sin, but by his grace, as the Bible of prophecy, as the word of prophecy, as the word of God was taught to us and we began to understand who Jesus is and what he had done and the spirit of God began to work in us to convince us of those very truths. When we put our faith in Jesus Christ that he died for our sins and rose again, it is amazing like, uh, like uh, the, uh, the, the psalmist said that he pulled me up out of a uh, out of the miry out, out of a miry pit out of the miry clay out of a horrible pit excuse me and set my feet upon a rock and established my goings and hath put a new song in my heart what does that mean that means that when you and I met Jesus Christ he changed us he made us his children. He gave us all of these precious promises. He gave us the ability to grow and to understand in our relationship with him and to impact the lives of others. But have you forgotten? Have we gotten so busy about life and about this world and our attention on things in this life that we've forgotten where Jesus found us? Wherefore, verse 10, the rather brethren give diligence to make your calling and election sure. For if ye do these things, here's two promises, ye shall never fall. That doesn't mean you'll never mess up. That means you'll never fall out of his family. You'll never fall out of his care. You'll never fall out of his ability to lift you up. The Bible says a just man falleth seven times, yet riseth up again. Ye shall never fall, verse 11, for so, uh, for so an entrance shall be ministered unto you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so there is this glorious entry into the everlasting kingdom of God. What we possess, what we pursue, what we are provided, and then, verses 12 through 19, by what we are prompted or reminded so as a result, on the basis of believers entering the future kingdom of heaven, Peter was determined to be able to always remind us of God's promises. How did he do it? Well, he did it because God was inspiring and using him to write to remind us of the past promises that he's given us that are fulfilled and to reveal future prophecies that are coming through his word. Look in verse number 12. Wherefore, I will not be negligent to put you always in remembrance of these things, though you know them, and be established in the present truth. Yea, I think it meet, as long as I am in this tabernacle, speaking of his body, this temporary dwelling place of this body, as long as I'm in this tabernacle to stir you up by putting you in remembrance, knowing that shortly I must put off this my tabernacle, even as our Lord Jesus Christ hath showed me. Peter knew he wasn't going to live forever. Peter had been told that there was coming a time that people were going to lead him to where he doesn't want to be led. And tradition uh, tells us that he was crucified, some say upside down, in the likeness of his Savior. But he knew that he was going to put off this tabernacle. He wasn't going to live forever. Verse 15, Moreover, I will endeavor that ye may be able, after my decease, 
to have these things always in remembrance. How? By the writing of these things. For we have not followed cunningly devised fables. He says, we've got proof. We haven't followed cunningly devised fables when we made known unto you the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. Uh, Peter, James, and John were on the mount we call the Mount of Transfiguration, and, and Jesus revealed his glory to them. They got to see him in his glory. They were eyewitnesses of that. Verse 17, for he received from God the Father honor and glory when there came such a voice to him from the excellent glory. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Notice what Peter said in verse 18. And this voice which came from heaven, we heard. We saw him. We heard God from heaven when we were with him in the holy mount. And look at the first part of verse 19 from where the title of the text or title of the message comes. We have also, we have also a more sure word of prophecy. There's three simple things that I want you to see tonight as we consider this thought, the word of prophecy, the word of prophecy. I want you, first of all, to understand the revealed word of prophecy. We started it in verse number 19. Look at it with me again. We have also a more sure word of prophecy. It's made more sure. Why? Because of the fulfillment of the prophecies all the way, many of the prophecies all the way from Genesis up to this point. There have been many prophecies that have been revealed. And we have a more sure word of prophecy. Whereunto ye do well that ye take heed as unto a light that shineth in a dark place. Until the day dawn and the day star arise in your heart, this word of prophecy is light and brings understanding and helps us to know who God is and what Christ has done and why we are here and what our purpose is and how he can make our lives profitable for his glory and for the help of this world. Verse 20, knowing this first, most importantly, that no prophecy of the Scripture is of any private interpretation. For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. I want you to understand something about the Scripture, about the Word of God that we hold in our hands tonight. Scripture is not a personal interpretation. This is not men's opinions and thoughts and best guesses and ideas. No, this is not a personal interpretation. And I want you to notice this. It is not by the will of man. Man didn't think this up. Man didn't put this together. God chose holy men of old. And they were moved by the Holy Ghost. They were, uh, they were carried along. They were inwardly driven and given the very words of God to pen. Scripture is not a personal interpretation. It's not by the will of man. But Scripture is from the Spirit of God, God the Spirit. So how do we get this? Well, the Holy Spirit carried along holy men to speak and to record the words of Scripture. And John is an eyewitness, and so is Peter is an eyewitness. We have the revealed word of prophecy. You know, there's many voices in this world, aren't there? Many voices that cry out for different things. 
There are many uh, false prophets as Dan, or as uh, Peter chapter 2 speaks of. There are cults and there are many draws in this world and many schools of thought in the life in which we live. There are many voices in the world, but we can have complete confidence in God's word. He has revealed what he wants us to know. And the uniqueness, listen, the uniqueness of the Bible is seen in the supernatural character of Bible prophecy. Prophecies that have been given, again, from Genesis, and many of which have been fulfilled to this day and filled perfectly. Peter would soon die, but he was leaving behind a more sure word, a written record of God's spoken word. Folks, I want you to know tonight that God has given us his word. And if God is powerful enough to speak the world and the universe into existence, then God is powerful enough to get his word to us and to preserve it for us so that we can have it and live the way that God wants us to live, so that we can possess what he promised that we could possess, so that we could pursue what he said we can pursue and what he would produce in us as a result. The Word of God is trustworthy, and I want you to know it's true, and He's expecting us to know it. 2 Timothy 2 and verse 15 says, Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the Word of truth. We're to read it. We're to study it. We're to to learn it. We're to take it and, and live it. And this book is important to our relationship and understanding who he is. We see the revealed word of prophecy. Number two, I want you to notice the reliable word of prophecy. Why do we trust the Bible? Why do we trust it as as the word of God? How do we know it's reliable? Because the Bible has never been wrong or even slightly off in its prophetic predictions. You know, there are hundreds of Bible prophecies that's been fulfilled. In the Old Testament, there are many, many concerning how kingdoms and nations and empires would crumble. Even mentioning the names of, or the name of a future uh, leader of the Medes and Persian Empire uh, over a hundred years before he ever was born. There are so many instances in Scripture that have been fulfilled, prophecies that have been fulfilled. And the Bible gives us about 120 already fulfilled prophecies of Jesus Christ's first coming. Stay with me. And these were all written prior, uh, before Jesus was conceived in, in Mary's womb. Let me give you just a few of them. In Genesis chapter 3, we're, we're, we see that Jesus is uh, to be, or the Messiah is to be from the seed of woman. In Genesis, Adam was created by God, and and then God from Adam created Eve, and they were given everything, and it was a perfect world. It was a sinless world, and God walked with them. And as you and I understand, uh, if you know know the story, the serpent was there. God had told them that you could eat of every tree except for the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Eve partook of that tree. And because of that, God brought judgment. Man would work by the sweat of the brow. There were many other judgments as a result, but the worst of that was that 
God told them that in the day ye eat thereof, in the day ye eat thereof, ye shall surely die. Now, Adam and Eve, physically, their body didn't die. Their soul, their ability to communicate with one another, that didn't die. But the spiritual life in them with which God created them and breathed into them and, and, and they became a living soul, that relationship, that spiritual relationship with God, their spirit died. That's why Jesus, hundreds, thousands of years later, tells us that uh, we must be born again. We, we must be made alive again unto God, and that can only happen through the Holy Spirit. But before he brought judgment, he made this promise that from the seed of woman would come one who would crush the serpent's head. And we understand that in prophecy as a foreshadowing of the coming Messiah who would put down the serpent, the enemy, Satan himself. Well, this seed of woman came, and according to Galatians 4.4, he, Jesus, was made of woman. He was a descendant of Abraham. Genesis 12 says that all of the families of the earth shall be blessed. And it was fulfilled in Matthew 1.1 as Jesus, the son of Abraham, was born. He was to be of the tribe of Judah, and it's prophesied in Genesis 49 that that scepter, that authority, shall not depart from Judah. And in Luke 3.33, it's fulfilled as he is called the son of Judah. He is to be an heir of King David, a descendant of King David. Isaiah 9.7 says, upon the throne of David, this Messiah will reign. And in Luke 1.32, the, the throne was given. The throne of his father, David, was given. He was to be born. This Messiah was prophesied in Micah 5.2 to be born in Bethlehem. And Micah 5.2 says, Bethlehem shall come, uh, from Bethlehem shall he come, the ruler in Israel. Well, that's fulfilled in Luke 2, verses 4 through 7, that unto a city of David, which is called Bethlehem, and that's where she brought forth her firstborn son. I'm showing you this handful of, of instances and examples where the Messiah himself, the most important uh, topic and person of the scriptures has been prophesied hundreds, thousands of years prior to them being fulfilled, but they have been fulfilled perfectly in Jesus Christ. He was to be born of a virgin, Isaiah said. A virgin shall conceive, and Matthew one twenty three says, a virgin shall be with child. He was declared to be the Son of God, and in the Psalms, he is called that thou art my son. Matthew 3.17, uh, God says, this is my beloved son. He was to be rejected by his own. Isaiah 53.3, Old Testament, he is despised and rejected of men. New Testament, John 1.11, his own received him not. He was to be betrayed by a friend. It was prophesied in Psalm 41, mine own familiar friend is the one who came against me. And it's fulfilled in Matthew 26, 50. When he speaks to Judas in the Garden of Gethsemane, being betrayed by him, and he says, Friend, wherefore art thou, art thou come? It was to be prophesied that he would die by crucifixion. Zechariah in the Old Testament said, Upon me whom they have pierced. And it was fulfilled in Matthew 27, 23. Let him be crucified. 
You see, listen, because Jesus fulfilled these prophecies of his first coming with perfect accuracy, we can know that he will also fulfill the other 300-plus prophecies of his second coming. If there's over 120 prophecies of his first coming that's been fulfilled, then listen, friend, there's twice as many that he is coming again. 100% accuracy. The margin of error is zero. And listen to me, friend, we can be confident in this word of prophecy. It is reliable. It is revealed. And lastly, there's the responses to the word of prophecy. The revealed word of prophecy, the reliable word of prophecy, and the responses to it. Look with me, if you would, in chapter 3 of 2 Peter. And as you're turning to chapter 3 of 2 Peter, we were in chapter 1. Chapter 2, he describes false teachers, false prophets, those who are telling, uh, that, are, that are preaching uh, false that are preaching lies, that are deceiving people for their own gain and for their own good. And then he comes to chapter number 3. And Second Peter 3 gives us four different responses to the word of prophecy. Four different responses. And I want you to see, and I have to add that tonight, every one of us in this room is at least... One has responded in at least one of these ways or will respond in at least one of these ways. First of all, in verses 1 through 5, there are those who scoff, who mock, who ridicule it. Look at verses 1 through 5. This second epistle, beloved, I now write unto you, in both which I stir, you, uh, stir up your pure minds by way of remembrance, that you may be mindful of the words which were spoken before of the holy prophets and of the commandment of us, the apostles of the Lord and Savior, knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days scoffers, walking after their own lusts, after their own desires, and saying, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of the creation. For this they willingly are ignorant of, that by the word of God the heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of the water and in the water. There are those who scoff. There are those who say, oh, there's, there's no way that, that that book that was put together uh, by uh, over 1,500 years by different writers who all of their writings line up, as you say, for the Christian. There's no way that all of those words could be true. There's no way that it could not be corrupted. There's no way that God is, is going to, uh, to that we have a reliable source of who God is and what he has given us. And there are going to be scoffers who say that. And they have been saying them since time began, and they'll continue to say them in the last days, as we are told here in the Scripture. There are those who scoff. There are those who say, I, I don't believe that. That's a fairy tale. That's a good moral story. Jesus is a good man. Jesus did some good things. It's unfortunate that he died the way he did, but he didn't really rise from the grave. You hear scoffers like that all the time, but the Bible has the answers to every one of those questions because those are the exact questions that I asked before I became a believer. The Word of God has the answer for us, but there will be those who scoff. There will be those who seek. There will be those who seek. 
many sincere people will seek to verify if the Word of God is true. They'll seek to verify the truth of prophecy and what this book says. There are countless people who have set out to read the Scriptures to disprove it and make fools of all believers. And oftentimes the testimony is the more that they got into the Word of God, this Word of prophecy, and studied it and learned it, even in their efforts to disprove it, the Spirit of God was speaking to their hearts and teaching them things and doing something that you and I have no power to do, but that God as our Creator does. Many will seek to verify. They'll do it by studying the past. You know, as the last days come, and as believers are raptured out of this world and into the presence of God before great and heavy judgment on this world and those who have rejected Christ, there are those who will see these things happening and find a, uh, uh, the, the Bible and begin reading and understanding what God has done in the past. Look in verses 6 and 7. By studying the past whereby the world that then was being overflowed with water perished. The speaking of Noah's ark, speaking of the flood and the judgment upon this world. Verse 7, but the heavens and the earth which are now by the same word are kept in store, reserved unto fire against the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. They'll, they'll study the past and what had happened in the prophecies of the Old Testament. They'll seek They'll, they'll seek by studying the prophecies of the future. Jump down to verse number 10. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in the which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. There will be those who scoff. There will be those who seek. They'll look into the Word of God, and they'll find that the Word of God is true, and, and, and what it said in the past has come to fruition, and what it said about the future they are living in. They will seek. There'll be those who scoff. There'll be those who seek. There will be those who are saved, who are delivered, who were born into the family of God, who put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. You know, scoffers mock and question the prophecies that tell us of Christ's return. And after all, we've been waiting 2,000 years, right? It would seem to me if he was going to return, if he promised that he was going to return, why in the world is he waiting 2,000 years? You can't believe that. But God shows us why in verse number 9. Look with me in verse 9. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise. He promised he's going to come. He came the first time. He will come again. The Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering, long-allowing. He is patient to usward. Watch this. Not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Say, so, well, why has it been 2,000 years before Jesus comes the second time? Because the first time He came, He came as the suffering servant. The first time Jesus came, he came to die. He came to be the sacrifice for our sins. He came to be our substitute. The first time Jesus came, he came to take the, the punishment, the penalty that we as sinners deserve upon himself. 
He came to take that. The judgment that we read about and that we talk about that's coming in the future, that judgment that's coming on the world and upon those who have rejected Jesus Christ is the same judgment that was placed upon Jesus in our place 2,000 years ago. When he comes the second time, when he comes, he's coming to rule and he's coming to reign on this earth and to set up his kingdom. Why is he waiting so long to come? Because he understands the judgment that is coming. And he understands that there is, that he wants to, he is long suffering to usward and he's not willing that any should perish. He remembers the suffering of the cross. He remembers the scourging of his body. He remembers the, 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 the thorn-pierced brow and the beating and the buffeting and the mockery and the blasphemy. He remembers the torment and the torture. He remembers being nailed to the cross uh, in his hands and his feet and hoisted up between heaven and earth to die in our place. The innocent Lamb of God. He remembers that. And he's not willing that any should perish. He doesn't want you to perish. He doesn't want you to come under the judgment of rejecting him. He doesn't want anyone to be lost. He wants everyone to be in heaven. He wants everybody to be with him for all eternity. And so he shows us in verse 9 because of his long suffering. In verse number 15, he mentions again, and account that the long suffering of our Lord is salvation. He is being patient and kind and he is using believers' lives all around the world to encourage and to influence those who are seeking, those who have questions, those who wonder about their purpose, those who understand that there's something more than what they live in the day-to-day. -day. There's something more. And for those who are willing to consider this word of prophecy, that it is revealed to us, that it is reliable, you can respond by putting your faith in the God of the Bible. And Jesus Christ loves us with an everlasting love, for God so loved the world, the world, that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. On January 26th of 1992, I went to church very reluctantly. It just so happened to be Tabernacle Baptist Church, not this one. It was in High Point where I grew up, and I went there because the girl that I was dating at the time and my friend and his girlfriend wanted me to go. I didn't want to go. I said, if you'll leave me alone, stop bugging me about it, I'll go. You ever been there? Don't raise your hand. I'll go. Just leave me alone. I'm going to, you know, and so I sat in the church and they sang and uh, they sang some of the same types of things that we sung uh, tonight and uh, they were happy and I looked around and I'd heard the gospel. I'd had preachers come to me while we're hanging out wherever and come talk to us about how God loves us and how, you know, we've sinned and, and how there's a penalty of that sin and, and Jesus paid that penalty and offers to you eternal life. And, and, but I didn't, I didn't want to believe it. Why? I enjoyed my sin, quite honestly. But as I sat there and I listened to the preacher, something began to happen in my heart. I tried to deny it. I tried to resist it. I tried to turn from it. I tried to ignore it, but I couldn't. And as I sat there, I knew that I needed 
what that preacher was talking about. I knew I needed to be saved. I had no intentions of doing it, but I at least knew, I acknowledged that I knew it. I needed to be saved. I knew I was lost. Nobody had to tell me. They had an invitation where they invited people to come forward and pray, invited people to come forward to talk about how to be saved. And in that moment, there's a lot of details to it, and it was miraculous of the Lord just working in my heart. But that morning, I went forward. I stepped forward. And when I stepped forward, and uh, an older gentleman met me down at the altar, and we, we knelt at the altar, and he opened up the Bible, and he said, you know, the Bible says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We're all in the same boat. We're all sinners. We can't save ourselves. You understand you're a sinner? And I said, yeah, you don't have to tell me. I know. He said, do you understand? The Bible says for the wages of sin, the penalty is death. And he explained that, that death wasn't just physical, but it's spiritual, the second death. It's to be separated from God forever in the lake of fire. We call it hell and he said, do you understand that that's what your sin deserves? And I said, yes, sir, I understand. I understand that, that because of my sin. And I was sincere. I knew it. I knew I didn't deserve what he was offering. He said, but do you believe, do you know that, that uh, but God commendeth or shows or proves his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, even though I was a sinner, Christ died for you? He said, the death that you deserve, he died it for you. He suffered for you. He took that upon himself. He said, do you believe that Jesus died for your sins? And I said, yes, I believe it. He said, and then three days later, he arose from the grave, proving that he is God and that he had the power to forgive your sins and to save you and to give you new life. He said, do you believe that? you believe he arose from the grave? I said, yes, I believe it. I believe it. He said, then if you'll confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. That's what the Bible says. He said, so if you know that you need Christ in your life, if you know you need to be saved, then I want to help you pray and ask. Confessed, confess to the Lord that you know you're a sinner and I owe a sin debt. But I believe that Jesus rose from the, died for my sins and rose from the grave, and I'm trusting who you are and what you did for me to save me. And I want to tell you something. I prayed, and when I prayed, I was sincere, and I accepted Jesus Christ as my Savior. And when I prayed, God, the Holy Spirit, came into me and quickened or made alive my dead spirit. I was born into the family of God. I learned later on, all of the, or I, as I'm learning, I'm learning all of these things and promises that God has given me, and, and I'm testing them, and I'm trying them, but God changed my life. He changed who I was. He took me out of the depths, and he brought me into his glorious light, and it was done through Jesus and who he says he is. He took our, uh, he took our punishment uh, so that we could have his righteousness. He died death so that we could have life. He suffered our hell so that we could have heaven. He is our substitute, and he is the only way, the only truth, and the only life that brings us salvation. There are those who will be saved 
in response to this word of prophecy. And then lastly, there are those who are strengthened. Look in verse 11 with me and we'll finish up. Verse 11. Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved. He's talking about the judgment on this world, the apocalypse, Armageddon, all the different names that we could call it, but judgment upon this. Seeing that then that all these things shall be dissolved as a result of understanding this, what manner of persons ought ye to be in all holy conversation and godliness? That's a wonderful question that believers tonight should ask themselves. Because if you're a believer, then you believe this is God's Word. You have to. That God is who He said He is. That God did what He said He did. If you're a believer, you believed the gospel of Jesus Christ, the death, burial, and resurrection, and that He's your only hope for salvation. As a result of that and what is coming, what manner of persons ought ye to be? You see, the word of prophecy strengthens and encourages us to live for God in the midst of a dark world. How else is a dark world supposed to see the light of the gospel? Ye are the light of the world. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. The word of prophecy can create change in us. As we understand and grow in this relationship, as we add to our, our knowledge, virtue, and, and, and virtue, charity, and, all, and so forth, it can create in, in us change. God changes us. He changes the way we talk. He changes the, the ways of, of our life. He, changes, uh, he helps us change our plans. It changes and, and enhances our relationships, and it blesses uh, and it changes our habits. God changes us. And I've got to testify to you, I know what I was before I became a Christian, a believer, and I know many of the blessings that God has given me today, and I wouldn't go back to that for nothing, for nothing. I wish I would have done it sooner. I wish I'd taken advantage of it the first time in vacation Bible school when they gave me the gospel and I was convicted in my heart that I needed to be saved. I wish I had done it as a 12-year-old when that man came up to us and talked to us about the Bible and about being saved. I wish I'd have done it as an older teenager when they came to us and tried to preach to us the gospel. I wish I'd have done it when I rode a bus to a church and the preacher preached and I sat on the back row and I laughed and scoffed and made fun. I wish I'd have done it then. But the long-suffering of God allowed me to live long enough to hear it one more time. And I got saved. Became a child of God. By the way, there's nothing that can change that. I'm saved forever. You say, are you perfect? <laughs> if you only knew. No. No. Being a Christian doesn't mean you're perfect. We have a perfect Savior. Being a Christian means we have grace and we have the Holy Spirit that lives in us and changes us to be like Christ. I've not always pleased my mother. She's here tonight, I think. I've not always pleased. Please don't testify. Don't wave your hanky, Ma, wherever you're at. I didn't always please her. I didn't always do right. 
But whether I was a good son of Barbara or a bad son of Barbara, I am always and forever going to be a son of Barbara. Why? Because I was, she gave birth to me. I was birthed into her family. When you accept Jesus Christ, you are born again into the family of God. You become a child of God. I've been a good child of God, I think, sometimes, and I've been a bad child of God sometimes. But here's what I want you to understand. When you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, from that point forward, you will always be a child of God. And that father rewards obedience, and that same father chastens lovingly for our disobedience, but he never stops being our father. Oh, the word of prophecy can strengthen us. It can create change in us. The word of prophecy can motivate believers to be involved in eternal investments. Set your affection on things above, not on things of this earth. We've got something bigger and better to live for. We live in this world, but we don't live for this world. And then the word of prophecy reminds us to take the gospel and fulfill the great commission given to us by Jesus, to go into all the world and preach the gospel. What's your world, believer? Your world's where you work. Your world's where you go shopping. Your world's where you go hiking. Your world is where you ride your bike. Your world is wherever you're at and the people around it, and we're to go into that world and influence it for the gospel. Because First Timothy says, For God will have all men to be saved. He wants everyone to be saved and to come into the knowledge of the truth. He wants everyone to be saved, and that includes you. If you're not sure that you know Christ is saved, if you're not sure that you're saved, you can. If you're not sure you're on your way to heaven, you can know that by seeing and understanding the Word of God and as the Holy Spirit works in you because He wants everyone to be saved. He's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. He will have all men to be saved, and that includes you. If you die without Christ, it will be your choice, not his. And maybe you're like me. You rejected him, and you have rejected him many times, but maybe tonight's your night that you don't reject him because God has spoken to you, and you know it. There's something stirring in here. You know you need not what I am, but you need who God is. And I plead with you tonight, give your heart to Christ. There are many wonderful and beautiful events that will take place in the book of Revelation as we study through it, and I won't go through all of those, but there are many, many wonderful events that will take place in the book of Revelation, and then there are some devastating. But even during those seven years of great tribulation, when believers are raptured and we're with Christ before he returns to this earth, and all the judgment that falls upon the Antichrist and those who follow him, the enemy of God, all of those horrible things, even during that time, listen to the long-suffering and love of God. Two witnesses will come with apostolic power like the apostles had, like the Old Testament prophets, like Moses and like Elijah. And God will, will give them supernatural power to do miracles. And people will hear the gospel and turn to God. 
many will still reject. Even after all of the judgments that fall, he will send uh, 144,000 Jewish believers into the world. And the Bible says that a great multitude, innumerable, will be saved as a result. He'll even send an angel toward the end of that time that will preach the gospel to the world. And there will still be multitudes who reject God. But there will be many who were saved. You have an opportunity tonight, believer, to shore up your walk with the Lord in his word. The last words that Jesus spoke to a human penman, the apostle John, was this. The last words, if, if, if Jesus could choose, he could choose anything to say. The last inspired word that we get from the mouth of Jesus is this. Surely I come quickly. It gives it some relevance and importance, doesn't it? Surely I come quickly. I like John's response, and I hope it's your response and prayer. Amen. Even so, come, Lord Jesus. Can you say that in your heart? I want you to come. Lord, I'm ready for you to come. I'm ready. If you're unsure of that, then why don't you identify why? Why are you unsure? Why can't you be ready? Well, there's just things going on in my life, and I just I got to get them right before. No. You got to trust the Lord. There is... There is no question that God can't answer, but no matter what, at some point you're going to have to come to the place where you say, I surrender, God, and I believe you. Thank you for listening. We pray that God has used his word to speak to you today. If you'd like to learn more about Tabernacle, you can visit us online at tabernaclebaptistchurch.com. There, you'll find additional information about our church, opportunities to partner with us financially, as well as other resources that we hope can be a help to you. May God bless you and thank you once again for listening.